Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hi, Olivia. Hey, Micah. Hi, Steph. Steph. Hi, Micah. Uh, hi, everybody. We have an extra special guest this week who is Steph Clark. We've mentioned her before. She is amazing and we love her. And she's been helping out behind the scenes for a couple of months now, right? Yeah, about 10 weeks, let's say. Yeah, that's crazy. She's like our our left and right hands, I feel. Yeah. <laughs> so we're excited because Steph is going to chat with us about the fun links. And Steph is also going to do an extra special nerd alert. What do we have in store for all the wonderful type nerds out there, Steph? The type nerds and the design nerds, just all the nerds, I think. We have a special little chat about the book Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. It's all about creativity and how to find your creativity and why we shouldn't abuse our creativity and the creativity inside of us. That was a good, that was a good eyebrow bump that, that got me excited. And another thing to be excited about, the first thing that we are sharing this week is that our next workshop is coming up, which is just so flipping great because we've, we've kind of been doing a series with these workshops, basically building you up to making type of your own with Daniel Nisbet, right? Correct. I'm super excited about this workshop. It's called Beginning Font Design, Your First Digital Characters. Kind of a continuation of the workshops we've had previously, but you can also join it fresh. Basically, it will help you figure out how to take your drawn letters that you might have in your sketchbook or on a piece of paper that you've drawn by hand, how to bring them into a font software and to like just make a font with it. It sounds like magic. Daniel just has an incredible you know, certain procedure he goes through to make this quick, make it efficient, make it done like all the pros do. I love the way that he teaches how to use different pieces of the letter and reuse them for other letters in the alphabet. That was something I did not do when I did my first font. And that's why it took so freaking long. <laughs> so I can definitely tell you, I'm certainly excited to learn a lot during this workshop as well. Yeah, so it's going to be a two-day workshop, which we did last time, and everybody seemed to like quite a bit. So it's like one and a half hours on the first day to learn a bunch of stuff, and then one and a half hours on the second day to have critiques where you know members get to submit the stuff that they've been working on, and, and Daniel will give them feedback, and then probably a few extra tips to throw in at the end of that one and a half hour session. And it is going to be on... June 12th and 13th. Thank you. 12 p.m. Eastern. So hopefully it works out for a lot of people around the globe. If it doesn't work out in your time zone, if you sign up for the class, you'll get a recording afterwards that you can just view forever and ever. Yeah. So check that out. There's a link in the newsletter this week. And, you know, everybody who gets our newsletter gets first access to it. So that's going to be very fun. Cool. All right. Our next link found by the wonderful Steph Clark. So I'm excited to hear your thoughts on what we have to present next. It is the Dyline Awards, the Dyline Awards. 
that's what it is. And this comes from the Dye Line, which is a great blog all about packaging. They've been around since 2007 and they give out awards every year in conjunction with some sponsors to just really outstanding packaging and branding projects. And they do all sorts of things that run the gamut from food packaging to health services to cosmetics. And it's just really interesting to see all these, the, all the outstanding work in one place together. Steph, what what attracted you to this article and why do you feel like you need to share it with everybody? There is a lot in here and it's a bit of a sensory overload as well. So you might need to read it in a few different little stints as I did, but there's just, what I really like, and I know that some people are a bit love and hate when it comes to design awards and what they really mean and who's actually involved in them and all those kinds of things. But you've got to say that the, it's just a great way of seeing what's hot at the moment, what's trending, what the kind of different styles are that are coming out of different studios and even just the different categories of the packaging and stuff as well. Like that's the thing I, one of the things I found really fascinating is seeing the trends that kind of flow across all of the different categories, but then also seeing the sort of subcategories and seeing how luxury is still purple and gold and yeah, ice cream is still really bright colors with funky lettering and stuff like that. So one of the things I really noticed or that jumped out to me was just the color like color is clearly very much back in we're probably moving a little bit away from some of the minimalism of in the last 20 years or so and really embracing maximalism color really expressive type and yeah it's just an exciting way of seeing just the interesting stuff people are doing but maybe you can give us some insight on the eight awards that JKR won (laughs) (laughs) I know I was like I don't even want to talk about it because I feel like it's too much flattery but obviously it's exciting I didn't work on any of the projects but my design studio Jones Mills Ritchie won studio of the year and several awards throughout a few different categories, particularly the Burger King rebrand, which speaking of color was the one that really embraced color and did that really as well. And type the, I, some of the people that worked on it are so talented at the agency. And I, I know we've talked about it before and it's great to see that it's getting a lot of acclaim just because this is my favorite project from the list is the Jet Puffed rebrand. I, it's my favorite project. I know people on my team that worked on it and it also embraces color. It's all about the rainbow and like the idea. I know the creative director was like, okay, so marshmallows are always on the bottom shelf at the grocery store. How can we make them stand out even though they're in this like less than ideal placement? Okay, we're going to fill the bottom shelf with rainbows. And they created these really cute puff pals that I have designed with for their social media assets that are slowly rolling out soon. And they're really cute. And just it just really encompasses everything I love about like, fun, lighthearted design that comes from a totally different universe. I'm all about that. So that's all I can say on the JKR side of things. I think that like the innovation as far as just environmentally sustainable packaging is blowing my mind. Mm -hmm. Just because I think like that that is a mix of, you know, graphic design, but a lot of industrial design and product design and really is taking us to the future. They kind of give their hats off to this plastic free innovation of the year, which was a prescription paper pill bottle. Mm, I didn't even think, yeah, I didn't even think about like how hard it is to recycle prescription pill bottles. And I guess in 2019, pharmacies filled 4.22 billion prescriptions just in the US. You think about like the implications over time. And so Sachi and Sachi Wellness did this collaboration with Plastic Planet and Tikkun Olam Makers and made this 
paper pill bottle that I'm so curious how it's going to be used. And they also open source the design. So that's really interesting too. And so that was like a totally novel concept that I was introduced to. You know what I, I love about this article too, is that, I mean, not only is there this crazy variety in packaging and at the same time you get to see some of the trends and it's actually funny. I've seen, I feel like I've seen a lot of these things already because I follow this woman on Twitter who runs this account called, her name is Andrea or Andrea Hernandez. And she calls it, she, she calls herself snack shot. It's like a company that is, I don't know, curating like packaging. And so it's constantly finding these like millennial zoomer, zillennial packaging trends, you know? And so like, I get to see a lot of these things often, but what I, A, seeing them all in one place is fascinating. And B, all of these have case studies attached to them where you can dive into one that you think is interesting and read and see more about it. And that's super cool. I like that a lot. Yeah. Agreed. Lots to love here and lots of, lots of exposure to companies I didn't even know about agencies and studios that weren't on my radar that are going to be in my radar. Cool stuff. All right. Our next article, lovely little short one for everyone, but you know, short and sweet. A history of the book review through its fonts. So it's the 125th anniversary of the New York Times book review. And they do a little kind of audit of different mastheads they had, different typographic components they've used in the New York Times book review and goes back as far as the 1800s. So you can see uh, how type has evolved since then. And there's just like really great specimens of old school type that I think everyone will like. It really reminded me of your ex Libra. Mm. Was that beginning of the year or end of last year? I can't remember now, but it really reminded me of that, which is why this one jumped out because it's got that kind of, particularly the one from, I think it's 1909. It's got that real ex Libra style with that kind of sticker almost that you'd have put on your books. Yes. Yeah. Nice like compositions too. And like really beautiful use of ornament that like, we just don't see these days or occasionally you'll see to honor or an homage to this style, but beautiful. Well, I got to say, I love this stuff. This could be a Flickr page. <laughs> because Flickr is, this, is, is the just... only place type <laughs> specimens live. So is this your weekly mention of Flickr? You can, you can take it off the list. You've done. I wish I had stock. <laughs> beautiful. All right. I'm actually excited about the, the next article. Steph, you found this, right? Mm-hmm. This, is the, this is the Typographic Emotions article. Yeah. And it's a little study that a guy did on <laughs> whether type and design or the difference between the effect that type on its own and design on its own and then type and design together have on your emotions. So he took, originally he did a slightly bigger study, but then realized that the standard deviation was a bit too high and it was a bit too random so he actually just found 15 friends instead which I think is a great way of doing scientific studies (laughs) this didn't work I will find my friends and instead tested these different typefaces with different designs behind them and before and after and used the emotions wheel to find how people felt when looking at the type on its own the design on its own and then what happened when they put the two together there's a few possible control issues as a study I think potentially but it's a really interesting, I think it's more of an interesting thought provoker around what else could you do with a study like this with a bit more control and maybe some a bigger sample size. What did you That's like? That's an interesting perspective about that because I was about to say, you know, this is more scientific than we usually see relating to design. 
And so that's that's super interesting. I so I actually have seen this article before. And it was because my friend Thomas Jockin and I have talked a lot about like client processes and how when you, when you get a new client, you know, they come in and they say, well, I want it to look clean and simple. And you really have to work hard to understand what the heck they mean by clean and simple. And one of the things that Thomas has like kind of a unique perspective and approach to is sort of defining opposite words and working with the client to like see what you don't mean as as well as what you do mean. And this was one of the articles that he had kind of referenced in his culmination of that theory, because it's, you know, it's actually attempting to use science and the scientific method applied to visual design that we all think is so subjective and entirely creative. It would make a really nice workshop, I think, if you're working with a client and you had that kind of situation where they're saying, we want this and we want this and throwing these words around, like, what does that really mean to you? Because what it means to me is different. So actually maybe getting some designs up on a wall, giving them some emotion cards or some, you know, the cards cards that have got the emotions written on them and getting them to go and stick And actually even to show to them, especially if you had three, four, five, six members of the client team, actually being able to get to show them, oh, look, even within the five or six of you, you've all put different emotions up on this one Google homepage or this one Apple page or some of the kind of cliche ones, but then probably some other more creative stuff as well. So I think that would be a really cool, like this, the concept is really interesting to then take into other situations. Andrew Johnson, sorry, is his name, not just a guy, which I mentioned earlier. Sorry, Andrew. I love the fact that right at the beginning, they talk about how this is complex. And I, I, they just nail down so many things that I have taught before in like a typography class. And that's in the second sentence. And it says emotion from any typographic, typographic experience is a complex system of the person's prior cultural context, their environment formal design principles, and psychology. You know, that's why there really is never one right answer because even if maybe the environment and formal design principles and and psychology are relatively similar from person to person, maybe their prior cultural context is totally different. I mean, Mm -hmm. and I could just give you an example of when I talked about the history of Black Letter. Everyone has a different cultural like context for that, depending on how you were exposed to it most. Like maybe you were exposed to it most because you're from Germany and that is some sort of national heritage, or you're exposed to it most if you're in Mexico when it's used a lot in lots of different sign paintings and stuff like that. And then again, when I talk about that being used in like 90s hip hop albums, it's its own context too. So it's like, mm. so even if you have a room, like a focus group or whatever and you're trying to show them something even if certain things seem like they'll read something to you it's so important that like prior cultural context is considered and I'm sure that like will add to anyone's standard deviations when you're looking at like scientific data of things and it's it's so funny because basically everything I design these days goes through focus groups and people have the craziest feedback and I like one day we'll share some of that, but just like things you'll never see. Like maybe if a letter's too pointy, someone I've, I've heard, Oh, it looks like this is part of a horror movie about this food type. And it's just like, how did you even get there? (laughs) But, but people get there and that's a thing. And like having, and like you understand why they do the focus groups is because like there might be a large amount of people that feel super strongly about something because they have a prior cultural experience or a psychological 
context that's way different than yours. Too true. One of the little things in here, which I found really interesting is how he didn't use ABC. He used ABCD because of the connotation that people have with ABC is quite simplistic. And like when you learn the alphabet as a child, so even just stuff like that, I was like, oh, wow, that's such a great little insight that changed the way he did the study. Right. This is a great companion piece. And this must be your point of view stuff. And I love it to the design data article we shared last week about, you know, how do you analytically look at design from, you know, just a numbers point of view. And that like leads to so many other insights that you wouldn't otherwise have. So loving these contributions stuff. Tell like for anyone who doesn't know me, I used to be an accountant. So this like analytical thing is just, you know, it's still in there. It's interesting that that's where you started from. And now you're kind of applying more and more creativity into your life. (laughs) That's the plan. But it's funny as well, how I keep going back now to some of the more analytical stuff as well, like stuff like this as well. So like you thought you were past it. I thought, I thought I had fully recovered, but clearly not. (laughs) But it's fascinating. So I love it. Keep Mm -hmm. them coming. Now is actually kind of a cool time to take a break and say, hey, thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to Adobe for helping to sponsor this week's episode. Their creative suite is one of the standards of design software and comes with a subscription to like a giant library of fonts that you can install, embed, use pretty much however you like. We've even got a few of our fonts in their library as well, if you're looking for those. And uh, we are grateful for them supporting the community with us. Totally. And thanks, too, to our members. Um, If you don't know, we've got a small and wonderful membership where for a tiny amount every month, you get awesome extra resources in our weekly typographic emails every week. Those are cool fonts that we found that you might want to add to your arsenal. Current jobs or gigs you might be interested in. Um, At the moment, it's only $5 a month, and we're upgrading a bunch soon. So hop in now if you want to get those goodies next week. All right, guys. Wow, we're already there. It's Nerd Alert time with special guest, Steph Clark. I'm going to make myself when I, because I have the pleasure of editing this, so I'm going to make myself like a little like air horn jingle Seriously? <laughs> intro music. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks, Micah. Cool. All right, let's talk big magic. Neither of you have read this book, have you? No. Correct. No. Okay, cool. So you can ask questions and things. So I won't ask you, what did you think about this? Because <laughs> that would be very awkward. All right. So Big Magic by Liz Gilbert or Elizabeth Gilbert. You may be familiar with the names. She is the author, is the author of Eat, Pray, Love, which obviously was very popular some years ago. And, and the film by the same name. And this book, she talks a lot about creativity. And I had the pleasure of seeing her, which is kind of nuts. Like I saw her end of February last year in Melbourne talking about this book we were all sat in a room there was like 1500 of us in a room like sitting next to each other eating breakfast and it was literally I think two weeks before everything closed down but we had no idea so it was this kind of yeah crazy timing anyway so I had the pleasure of seeing her last year and the reason I went so I think this is just maybe interesting or useful context the reason I went is because I'd heard people talking about her work and particularly this book which had been out for a little while already by the time she came to Melbourne to, to Australia to talk about it and 
people I know or and know of had written books, had changed their businesses, had changed their life and their work and their creative practices as a result of this book. So whilst when I saw it and I thought that is way too woo woo for me, I thought <laughs> I'm just going to give it a go because I am open to new experiences. So I went to the talk. She was fantastic. And one of the things I really love about the book is it's very much her perspective on on how she thinks of creativity and how she thinks of the creative process rather than this is true and you should believe it too. Mm. So I like that she holds it quite lightly and she even calls out that this is maybe a little bit too far for some people in some parts or, and she, she uses language like this is my understanding or this is how I think of it because it helps me create. In terms of the book itself, it's split into a few different sections and then there's probably three or four key ideas that go through, which I thought might be useful to share. So the the biggest big idea, I think, is this idea of just creating. And she talks about how we we often, and I absolutely fall into this, I'm doing it right this very second in or in my, my current kind of present day work that I'm doing is we often try and turn our creative pursuits into things. We try and turn it into a business. Someone will say, oh, you're really great at baking cakes. You should do, you, know, you should turn that into a business. And before long, we're baking cakes. Like, hang on, how did, how did this even happen? Like, this is not what I actually want. I just want to bake cakes for fun. And she uses creativity quite loosely, which I quite like as well. It can be baking a cake. It can be a musical instrument. It can be writing. It could be some of the more artistic pursuits that we think of with creativity, but really you can apply it to almost any thing that you do in a, and take a creative mindset to it, which I really liked as well. So this idea of just creating and creating to create rather than creating to do it as a business or to sell it or to have it as a thing is, I think, quite a refreshing reminder that some of us need on a daily basis. That's hard. I have so many things like that and I'm constantly drawn towards this needs to be a thing constantly. And even though I've I've heard that advice before of like, hey, they don't all have to be things. You could just do it because you like doing it. I still in my brain hear, well, why do it? Yeah, <clears throat> me too. It's come to a point, I feel like because so much of my creativity is just funneled into someone making money, <laughs> whether a company I'm working at or me making money, it's so hard to reverse that thinking these days. The other day I was stuck on a plane and I was I got a new notebook and, new, and a new pen. And I was just doodling for like half an hour. And I was like, oh. Such a nice release. And something I used to do all the time when, you know, you're younger and you are bored in class or whatever. And these days, just like, I I think it's a mix of being an adult and also like we're surrounded by so many other things that distract us that we, you know, are constantly digesting content rather than creating it and then creating it not to put on Instagram, not for a thing. It's also like a whole different mindset that I think a lot of us have forgotten. Well, not yeah, just that, but I think like- just our Western approach to productivity. Like we have to be maximalized productivity, doing something for the sake of doing something all the time. Sorry, Micah. Yeah. No, no, no. That's that's a great point. I totally agree with that. And it's I, I feel like it even rears its head. You said Instagram and I was totally thinking of Instagram because can't tell you how many times in my life I've heard like, oh, you're a great photographer. You should post more. And, and, you know, it's always this frustrated response from, from me of being like, well, you know, I don't, I don't know how to make money with that. And even, even just the idea of posting to show my friends the nice pictures that I've taken, that feels like an end goal that isn't, I don't really want it all the time. 
Yeah. yeah it's right. a problem. This is just point number one, but we're like going off <laughs> on it. Yeah. But I think this Strong is the thing, like feelings. this is such a big, it's, and it's so relevant and it's so, it really does relate to, to a lot of people. The second idea, which is somewhat related or the second thing that I think is, is a, a theme throughout the book which I liked is that this everyone is creative and we would have heard this all know friends who are just like oh I wish I was creative because and and it always comes down to because I can't draw like that's always the <laughs> I don't know if you have the same thing as well you know from people you know it's always I wish I was creative I can't draw or I wish I could draw because then I'd be creative and this 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 binary w- weird connection we have between drawing and creativity anyway so there's, there's this idea. Like, See, I've, always, I've always had a great comeback to that because mm-hmm. I went to art school and I, I was in the one year where they were like, oh, he's like in a digital program. So like, doesn't, he doesn't have to take a drawing class. And then the next year they were like, that was a bad idea, but we already told him he didn't have to. And so I went through it, the entirety of art school, not drawing. I left art school, not drawing. I still don't draw. I don't like drawing. I'm bad at drawing. And it's constantly like a conversation that I get to have with people to be like, wait, no, there's like a bajillion other ways that you can be, cre- you can be creative with accounting, you know? Yeah, yeah it's, cool. it's illegal, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can be creative with the process of how you approach the legal parts of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Micah shouldn't go into accounting. It's this. So <laughs> someone check his books. Um, the other thing I think with that is that, that comes back into this idea, which kind of to your point is that we've been making things for generations. We've been cooking for generations. And just because and we did that to live, not to show it on Instagram or not to make a beautiful cake. And, yeah, those things are great and we should continue to make beautiful cakes. But a lot of these things we've done to cook, to eat, to live for millennia like since the beginning of time because that's how we have survived but now we've turned them into these commercial pursuits and again in some ways that's great but in other ways that's then forced this this false idea of what what it is to be creative and what it is to create and which then obviously links to this idea of maybe we should just all create more and then we see ourselves as creative i have to ask was was this talk and reading this book one of the impetuses for you to start exploring some of the other creative outlets in your life that you're playing with now? Mm, good question. I I think it probably was, but I think it was probably more the timing of it that pushed that. So I read this. So I read it after I had been to the talk, which was, yeah, sort of February, early Feb. And then I went to New Zealand and I read the book while I was in New Zealand, which were literally was days before the, everything kind of shut down by the time I got back. So it was when I was thinking about, right, what's next and things, but didn't realize I was suddenly going to have a pandemic presented to me. Mm. So I think it was probably more the timing, plus then having last year a bit more extra time to think about some extra stuff and you know, just the, the gift of time that the, it did give. So yeah, yes and no. I don't know if the book is the impetus, but it's funny going back on the notes and things that I made on the book now, I was thinking, oh, actually, I should reread this, reread this now for where I am at the moment with some of the creative things I'm exploring at the moment to be able to to probably take new ideas from it because you in your life have have a few things that you have been doing as creative pursuits just to play with them right yeah for now I mean you know there's always an end goal but this is the funny this is the funny <laughs> so thing so you I've have the same doing, trap yeah I, oh absolutely and it's funny because my friends know this about me and I've started doing ceramics recently as you know to, to to do this and to practice and to do something very tangible and very tactile and it's funny because a couple of friends of mine or one friend in particular I said to her I was like oh Leanne I'm gonna do gonna do ceramics but I'm gonna it's not gonna be a thing 
just doing it for fun. She was like, great. Have you already registered your domain name for like Steph's plates or whatever? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I was like, no, no, I'm just doing this for fun. I promise. She's like, sure. <laughs> I did design a logo, but that's different. That's, that's, that doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, that was practicing my other, my graphic design skills. It's fine. Right. Shoot. That's interesting. All right. Yeah. The final thing, which I've saved to last, because this is the woo-woo bit, and this is the bit that for, I don't know, I'm not a particularly woo-woo person. I would probably, um, Apparently, I myself. am. Yeah, I said, I said that Micah would like this book because the woo-woo. This is the idea that ideas are entities and that they are their own living, breathing things that float around in the environment. And every so often they will just land on us and they will sit and wait till you give them the correct attention. And then they you can turn them into something or you can ignore them. If you ignore them for too long, they will disappear to someone else. And mm. the example of this that she gives, you're both pulling very suspicious faces at me. So I'm looking forward <laughs> to your thoughts on this. So the, the example of this she gives, and there's a few different ones, but the main one that really stuck with me is a friend of hers that she goes to meet. And she's had this idea for this, this novel that she wants to write set in the Amazon, as in not the super store thing, the, the, the warehouse <laughs> business, the other Amazon, the original one. And... Okay. She talks about that you know, she had this idea for a novel and she kind of ignored it and it had been floating around in her mind and around her for some time. Anyway, she went to see this other writer friend. She'd never discussed this idea with anyone. It had just been something that she'd been pondering. She went to see this particular writer friend. They spent a weekend together or whatever. And at the end, they kind of kissed and said goodbye. And then she went back home. The other, the writer went back home and sometime later, this writer was like, I'm releasing a book. It's set in the Amazon and it's a love story and all this kind of thing. And she was like, oh, hang on. And so she believes and she was okay to let go of that. She was like, this idea, I didn't give it the love and attention it needed. So therefore, when I met this friend and I gave her a hug and a kiss to say goodbye, the idea transferred over to her without any kind of mention of it. It just moved over into her. So obviously I was like, no, that didn't happen. But the... (laughs) But they, at the same time, it's like, I kind of like the idea and the fact that this is how she understands it. And not from a intellectual perspective, but from a creative perspective. I like the idea that she has this way of thinking like, this is how ideas and creativity works. And she holds it very lightly. And she says, you know, this is, I realize this is not based in sort of science or anything, but this is a way that she thinks of how ideas exist in the world. All right. I'll admit it. I, I like that as a metaphor. I like mm-hmm. it. I I don't like it literally, but <laughs> but I've certainly felt ideas that felt like that. And there have been times in my life when I have been like, you know, what? I'm OK with letting this one go. Mm. I can't say I've ever had a friend suddenly pick it up that I've noticed, but maybe they have and I didn't notice. Or just the millionaire, maybe just the millionaire friend that's got the uh, that's driving around the Aston Martin. You're like, damn it. <laughs> I do. Well, you know what? I mean, now that you now that you mentioned that particular friend. <laughs> I do. I not, but honestly, I do feel like I have a few friends that have like found some measure of success from an idea that like I thought of and wasn't going to do and kind of willingly let go of. Mm. That's such an interesting way to describe that process. Yeah. And she talks about that around willingly letting go and that very intentional, like you can say no to ideas. And she says, you know, if you if you intentionally say no to it, it will then disappear of its own accord and it will go away and it will find a new host for it. Whereas if you if it just hangs around and it's niggling at you for ages and you're like, oh, maybe one day, one day, and then you just don't give it enough love, it will then go of its own accord. So mm. this is the, the other way of thinking about it. So I like your take on that as well. I like the idea 
a lot. I feel like I'm with Mike on this. Like I love the the metaphor there as a way to like be forgiving to yourself. I'm all about forgiving mm. ourselves. I'm all about that. If like you had an idea and it just it's just not gonna happen and and you and sometimes people beat themselves up over that because they're just like, oh my gosh, like this came and went. Now I, this is my life. Well, your life's your life. And that's fine. I also like it as a way to put some fire under your butt to get something done because I mm-hmm. have all sorts of ideas that I am not going to share on this podcast. And and there's and there's silly stuff. I have, you know, like gift ideas and stuff like that that have always floated around. And that like every once in a while I'll make it on my to-do list for like, I should do this this year and then never get done. And like, gosh darn it, I should just do the thing. Because- you know what? Sometimes though, like those ideas you let them sit right and they and they never they never quite go away and every once in a while you notice that they're still there and you're like shoot that's still there i don't want to let go of that yet and then after a long enough chunk of time you do really have to say either like i'm gonna i'm gonna nurture this thing to health and Mm -hmm. actually try to let it thrive and be proactive about it or i gotta let it go Mm. and i think to your point olivia around being kind to yourself i think there's a really nice sort of overlay to that around not then resenting or being bitter if someone else if you exactly as Mike has just said you let it fester and you don't really nurture it to health and then someone else gets the same idea because this is what happens just in in life and then they make a success of it so I think it's a nice way as well of being like well actually based on this understanding or this way of this metaphor of thinking about creativity I didn't nurture it to health and therefore it is someone else's to do that with and being able to let that go without resenting or you know bitterness or lawsuits for example I think the personification of it almost Mm. transforms that into like well you don't want this poor lovely creature to be in pain right Mm. like you want someone to nurture it like if Mm. if I am not in the right place to be able to do that somebody should take care of it Mm. I like that yeah yeah and all of this is really around letting go of fear like there's a lot in the book she talks about her childhood she was scared of everything she wouldn't do anything and then really as a teenager she just sort of decided actually fear fear has a a role and a place but it shouldn't be in the driving seat so she uses this analogy of the car and who's driving whether it's fear or creativity and she talks about being able to see fear and use fear but using it in a in a healthy helpful way rather than it letting it overcome everything which links also all of these other parts about creativity as well so cool wow shoot hmm. i like it this was a good pick steph yeah, you knew i was gonna pick it yeah i put it in there put it kind of you know did the old put it not at the top not at the bottom <laughs> i mean i'm convinced i have to read this book now that's how- it's this thing it is a really it's a really fun read as well like she doesn't take herself too seriously it's very light it's very kind of tongue-in-cheek there's lots of little almost like winks and nods to the reader almost like breaking the fourth wall as you would have in a in a maybe in a tv program or something so there's lots of it's just light it's fun and i think that's the reason i enjoyed it because she is very easy to read and you'd kind of you kind of want to be her friend afterwards as well you're like oh you're, you're cool I, I like you so if you are put off by some of the woo-woo things you've heard about it or other people's descriptions of it I wouldn't let that I wouldn't let that change the way you think of it because probably similar to probably more similar actually to something like the artist's way I found the artist's way which I know a lot of people have and probably people listening have have are aware of or have been through I found that harder to ignore some of the woo-woo elements but you you can whereas this one's very easy good i, felt the I, same I like way. the honest mm. the honest review i Always. appreciate it also i know you didn't ask for this but i just wanted to plug steph's 
podcast about books where she talks about books all the time and she reads them and talks about them. And like, if you loved her soothing voice and insights today, (laughs) you will not want to miss out on Steph's business bookshelf podcast. That is what I got to say, because the way you find time to read books and then get to like pull out the best nuggets of them, I just think can be really helpful to our listeners. Awesome. Thank you. I'm going to use that as the intro for my show. There's your testimony. You need to now sing a tune for your voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll work on that. Yes. We'll workshop that. All right. Well, this was great. Thank you, Steph, for joining us this week. And as always, finding amazing stuff. Hope Excited to, to hear everybody's feedback about this too, because yeah, we, mm. we totally want to have Steph on more often. So this is great. If anybody has any fun links or uh-huh. suggestions for next week, you should definitely email us equally too. If you have any questions about the workshop, email us about that too. And otherwise, we will see all you nerds in a darn week. Do-do-do-do. 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 Do-do-do-do.